Good evening. Welcome to Earthmakers, spiritual care for real humans. My name is Joey. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. I'm a clinical chaplain and the grateful creator and host of the Spiritual Care Podcast from the Zen Buddhist perspective. Even though this podcast is made through a Buddhist lens, it is for every human, no matter your beliefs or non-beliefs, traditions or practices. Take a deep breath, settle in. This space is for you. everybody. Welcome back to Earthmakers. It's good to be back this week. We're continuing our series on the five precepts of Buddhism. The five precepts of Buddhism are what we might call the ethical north star of Buddhism. These are a list of five ethical practices which will help us navigate mindfully, compassionately, wisely, and with loving kindness through this life in a way that creates healing and wholeness and promotes helpful ways of connection rather than harm and destruction and damage. The first precept is don't kill. The second precept is don't steal. In today's precept, the third precept of Buddhism is don't stereotype, exploit, or harm others sexually a.k.a. don't engage in sexual misconduct. Sexual misconduct has been all over the news and media, social media and otherwise, for many years now. Um, And especially with the Me Too movement and the ensuing Time's Up movement and the Church Too movement, we have uh, people who are survivors of different types of sexual assault and harassment speaking out and finally feeling like they have a voice. Well, in in some circumstances, I would say we still have a long way to go. We're we're not where we need to be. So obviously content warning for today's episode, we're talking about sex and it is a sensitive topic that is a deeply spiritual topic. And I want to create space for everybody, whether you've had a very challenging relationship uh, to this topic or in a lot of ease with this topic is immaterial. You're here and you're human and so that means sex is an important topic. The Buddha knew that sex was powerful and this is why he warned against engaging in harmful sexual behaviors. Of course, Buddhist monks cannot and are forbidden from engaging in sexual behaviors of any kind. And so for a monk, a celibate Buddhist monk or monastic to engage in some kind of sexual relationship would be a violation of the third precept. Vows matter in Buddhism. Keeping your word matters. For those of us who are not monks, I am a Zen Buddhist practitioner and uh, married, so clearly not celibate. Um, But my, I'm 
so sorry if you heard that thump. That was my cat, Potato. He is hanging out in the podcasting studio today, and he likes to hang out on the desk where I record, so sometimes he makes noises. Anyways, <laughs> sorry about that. Um, <clears throat> As a married person... I have a duty to my spouse to uphold our relationship, our partnership, our commitment to only have sex with each other. Unless we were to have an open marriage. And then if our commitment was different, a little bit more open, then our ethical construct and the the ethical heart of our relationship is particular to us, right? We get to decide within the confines of that relationship how it works for us. But just like the first two precepts, this is not just about not sleeping with somebody else's spouse or you being, or you having an affair, or um, sexually assaulting or harassing a vulnerable person, right? This, it's bigger than that. Trudy Goodman, the great meditation teacher, wrote the section in Lion's Roar magazine on the third precept. And she says, I know that when I'm in my integrity, my wholeness, there's respect for my body and yours, even in the force field of sexual desire. If I view people as sex objects or through gender stereotypes, I've fallen into disrespectful dualism that dims the light of awareness. Objectifying or othering each other opens a door to exploitative behavior and abuse Exploiting anyone's vulnerability in sex for my own pleasure takes me far away from my true nature. For whenever I harm another, knowingly or unknowingly, I'm harming myself. So remember that spirituality is all about connection. So in this regard, sex has the power to obstruct and weaken the quality of that connection that we have to ourselves, others, and some kind of higher power. It also has the power to strengthen those connections in healthy contexts. I have a special relationship to this precept because I spent many years prior to my recovery and prior to my marriage uh, in many different relationships. I would describe myself as a serial monogamist. That is... um, just a, a, a nice, polite way of saying um, this person is a love, romance, and sex addict and a codependent. Um, I engaged in impulsive sexual behaviors. Um, I would had many random hookups, and I dated compulsively. If a relationship ended, I'd start a new one as soon as possible. And then those relationships would last anywhere from two to five months at most. 
When I was in high school, I had a couple relationships that lasted longer, but in college and onward, I had many, many sexual, romantic, and intimate experiences. And while for some people that might be okay and it might work for them, it did not work for me. It was my inner addict searching for something. What was it? I was trying to find connection, meaning, value, worth, and purpose in romance, intimacy, and sex. I believed that I was good at those things, and so did other people. And so because of that, I off kept offering myself sexually to others because I believed that that was how I took care of relationships. It was very misguided. And there was a lot of destruction that followed. I made really frustrating decisions over time that harmed relationships. I forged relationships with people that were unhealthy and I was unfaithful to people who I was in a committed relationship with. I was unkind <clears throat> and I broke people's hearts and people broke my heart as well. So I was causing suffering and people caused me suffering on the other end of the spectrum. And this is a big part of my story and a part of my story that it pains me to talk about. I don't like talking about this part of my life. This is not enjoyable <laughs> for me. Um, but now as a person in recovery and working on every day, maintaining a healthy relationship to sex and finding the power that of connection that sex can create within my marriage and within my experience in my own body as a non gender non-binary person, it can be a little bit dysphoric for me to talk about sex and think about the act of sex or think about genitals or whatever we might associate with sex. But the primary thing here is that in Zen Buddhism, it's said that true love is when the division between self and other disappears. In Zen, we talk about there being no separation between me and you and the cat and the tree and the flower and the body of water and everything else. There is no separation. We, in Buddhism, we call this interconnectedness or dependent arising. Everything is connected, right? This is a non-dualistic spirituality. And Trudy Goodman, earlier on in this article, talks about, remember, um, the disrespectful dualism that forms when we are viewing people as sex objects or through gender stereotypes or through a transphobic lens or anything else that might revolve around that sac most sacred of words, sex. Love is when the division between self and other disappears. If I look at someone as only a sex object, as a thing to be used for my pleasure, that is not love. 
that is a power thing, that is lust. That is, I desire and seek power over you so that I might get what I want from you. Now, is, is pleasurable sex wrong? No. Are random hookups always, ethically speaking, morally wrong? No. No, no, no. For different people, what, what do we say? Different strokes for different folks. You know, whatever floats your boat. You know, all that kind of good shit. <laughs> uh, the, the point is, as long as you're not abusing sex... It can remain this beautiful centerpiece of your life. Sex, of course, is again, we go we go deeper. It's not just about where my genitals end up, whose body I'm touching. It's about my identity, my gender identity. It's about my sexual orientation. It's about the biological sex that I was born into. And it's about that for other people as well. And all of the cultural pieces, whether for good or ill, that are connected to all of these intersecting pieces of the sex puzzle, I guess. It's... Sex is beautiful and sacred and good, and it matters, and it is a big deal. Even Trudy Goodman says in her article, it takes practice to handle the heat of erotic fire skillfully. For me, learning to navigate sexual relationships wisely has been the work of a lifetime, full of joys and sorrows. I have a lot of sorrow around this topic because of the ways in which hearts have been broken and people have been hurt and I've been hurt um, over the years by this topic. And then you might look at your own life and say, and say, well, I'm a survivor of assault, and so this topic is very hard for me. Well, I am also a survivor of assault. Another thing that, when it was revealed, was swept under the rug because it was inconvenient for the leadership in my community, in my church community, to take responsibility for what had happened to me. It was inconvenient for this community to have to deal with the burden of dealing with this individual's decision to sexually assault me. I have forgiven this person. It took many years, but I don't want that event or those that series of events to define me. Just as much as I don't want my harmful, heartbreaking, manipulative actions throughout the years to harm others or me either. But the truth is, whatever damage has been done has been done. And if I focus all of that energy on the past, I'm not living here and now where there is freedom and truth and connection to the authentic self. This reminds me a lot of something that's been popping up in the news and in the social media a lot lately. Ravi Zacharias was a very popular uh, evangelical Christian apologist while he was alive, um, trying to use logic and reason to convince people that um, the teachings of Christianity were 
the truth that God exists, that Jesus is um, the way to God, etc. Ravi Zacharias died, and it's only coming out several years later that he was a sexual predator on a global scale. He harmed a number of innocent women. When I say innocent, I don't mean we are determining their innocence or guilt based on their relationship to Ravi Zacharias, but rather innocent in that they were not the predator, period. There is no debating that. There is no debate because we constant, if we constantly allow for that debate in our culture, people who identify as women are always, always, always going to be doubted because that's the movement of this world and this culture is to doubt the stories and voices of women and earth makers. And in these sacred spaces, we do not make allowance for that. We make space for all voices to be heard and respected. This is true spirituality. This is true spiritual care. I'm so sorry if you hear my cat in the background. It's Potato again. He's a real idiot. <laughs> a lovable idiot. So, if true love is when the division between self and others disappears, then when we look at Ravi Zacharias's story, we can see an example of somebody who was not engaged in true, authentic love, so had experienced a disconnection with the authentic self. I'm so sorry, folks. My cat is stuck, and I you're going to be here with me while I get the cat down. There we go. Okay. <laughs> oh, it's always a circus here with these cats. Okay. So back to it. There's been a argument used by mostly white, cisgender, heterosexual, straight, evangelical Christian men defending Ravi Zacharias when people disparage him on social media, the response has been, well, remember that King David in the Bible raped and murdered people and was still in the Bible called a man after God's own heart. This, of course, is creates confusion in theistic communities where people believe that God is a God of power and love and that God is in God's very nature good. And so it's confusing that a, a king uh, who rapes and murders and lies and steals and manipulates would be called a man after God's own heart and write some of the most beautiful poetry and music that we have in the sacred Hebrew and Christian scriptures. 
Here's the deal though. Somebody says that King David was a man after God's own heart. This literally changes nothing. If we insist upon that point, then we then what we end up doing is we make God look like somebody, a being, a, a higher power who is okay with rape and murder. Or a higher power who might excuse rape and murder. Maybe not okay with it, but might excuse it. It is not worth our time or our energy to dive into stories like that. There are troubling stories in Buddhist scripture, in Christian scripture, in Hebrew scripture, in Muslim scripture. There's troubling stories in sacred texts. And when we take those stories and examine them in our current cultural lens, in modern times, we need to make the decision that works for us now, not the decision that worked in antiquated Palestine or ancient Israel, but the decision that works for us here and now. The Buddha said some pretty disparaging things about women. We do not embrace those teachings. We do not believe that that is an appropriate way to proceed with loving kindness and wisdom in the world. If we keep the third precept with love and wisdom and care, then hearts open up and true authentic connection is made. Too often this topic is used in a way to harm and exploit. And in that being the case, it's really important for us to skillfully, wisely, compassionately adhere to this third precept. Maybe you haven't in the past. Or maybe you've been around others who haven't, but or been affected by others who haven't. But I invite you now, no matter what, or where you've been through, or what you're doing, to own your shit. If you've hurt people, own it. Seek forgiveness, do the right thing. And then take the third precept, bind yourself to it. And in so doing, you will see that there is no division between self and others. That division is an illusion. And that is what the third precept is really all about. It's facing the illusion of duality, facing the illusion of division between self and other and letting it evaporate. I hope that today's topic was not too hard or painful for you. It's certainly one of my least favorite topics doing that today. Okay, folks. Uh, the next episode is not going to be the fourth precept. We will save that for a couple weeks from now. The next episode is going to be an interview with David Hayward, otherwise known as the Naked Pastor. 
Look up The Naked Pastor on Google. Uh, it is a David is a Canadian artist who paints beautiful paintings, but also has a webcomic called The Naked Pastor in which he reflects on Christian spirituality and the ways in which it has harmed people and how we can use that wisdom and that reality and that knowledge to better ourselves in the world. Using the lens of cartooning and humor, David has done remarkable work around this topic, and I'm really excited to have him on the show. I can't believe that he agreed to come on. He's a, a, a big inspiration of mine. David's very cool. Uh, so next week, we talk to David Hayward from The Naked Pastor. Look him up in advance. Get to know his stuff. And the following week, we move on to the fourth precept, which is tell the truth. Another important one. I love you. You are enough exactly as you are. Take good care of you today. And I'll see you next week.